Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We hope that you'll be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. I've got some things on my heart this morning, um, which also I think are important to share. By the way, have you seen the dam levels? Have you seen what our dam levels are? 2017, they were at 37.4% in September. 2018 at 70% right now, 81.7%. That's pretty good, hey? That's pretty awesome. Anyway, that's not what I wanted to speak to you about this morning, obviously. There's some other things um, that have been on my heart. By, oh, one of them. Have you guys, anybody seen the new Ferrari that's out? <laughs> Check it out. The, the 2019 Ferrari is called the 812 Superfast. The name of the car is Superfast, and it's because it's pretty quick. This car does 340 kilometers per hour, top speed. It goes from 0 to 100 in 2.9 seconds. 2.9 seconds. No, it's not what I want. I would not. Listen, you'd never be late for church again in this, in this car. <laughs> Ever. But more impressive than going from 0 to 102.9 seconds, it goes from 100 kilometers an hour to 0 in 32 meters. From 100, that's, that's less than the span of this room. From 100 kilometers an hour to stop, 32 meters. Insane. Hectic. Anyway, like I said, there's some things I wanted to talk to you about and share with you this morning. Do you, do you ever get the feeling that Somebody wants to share something with you. They want to discuss something with you, but they just don't quite get to the point. Do you ever get that feeling? They want to have a heart-to-heart. They want to bring up something that they know might be emotive or contentious or difficult, but they just don't quite get to the point. Um, Some people just jump right in. Other people really take their time. But, sorry, they eat biscuits first. They make you get coffee, make sure you're comfortable. But when somebody wants to share something with us, whether they take their time to get there or whether they jump straight in, we're always confronted with that awkward moment of confrontation where it now demands attention, where it now demands discussion. Do you know what I mean by that awkward moment? That awkward moment where you're not quite sure what this is going to mean, but you're pretty sure it's going to cost you something or it's going to challenge you in some way or someone's going to confront you in some way and you're not quite sure how to feel about that. That awkward moment. I want to talk to you a little bit about that awkward moment this morning. I'm going to start by giving you an example of an awkward moment that happened to me many, many years ago. The moment that I asked Helen's mom if I could court her. So most of you, I don't know if you do know the story, I don't want to spend too much time on the story this morning, but Andreas and Cristela went away, they came back from, from, from overseas. I went, my dad used to have one of those big Chrysler voyages, so I said to Helen, well, I'll come with you to pick up your parents, got lots of space in the car, we pick up the parents, go drop them off at home. That day, Cristela says to Andreas, something's going on here, why did Michael come with Helen? <laughs> something's going on, Andreas said, you're just imagining things. Actually, no, no, it was Andreas who said there's something going on. And Cristela said, you're imagining things. Leave it alone. Don't go there. So anyways, while Andreas and Cristela were overseas, my parents had Helen and Stephen and a few friends over for, for a meal one night. 
and to reciprocate and just say thank you, Andreas and Cristela invited my parents to their house for supper. So we went and had supper and all the rest, and that was great. And then that night, Andreas had a dream. And in his dream, he re relived the entire evening that had just happened, except for one small detail. As my parents were leaving the house in the dream, my mom turned around and grabbed Andreas by the arm and said, Michael wants to court Helen, but he doesn't know how to go about it. <laughs> and Andreas in the dream said, leave it to me. <laughs> Woke up in the morning, shared the dream with Cristela and said, don't tell me to do nothing here. There is something going on. So long story short, a couple of weeks later, after a Friday morning pastor's meeting, he takes me out for coffee. He says, Michael, a little bit like this. Those awkward moments. I had a dream. Oh, wow, that's interesting. When pastor comes to you and calls you for coffee and tells you he had a dream about you, you have that moment where you look up to God and go, listen, that was between you and me. Come on, this is not fair. I thought this was just you and me in this. And he, relay, he recounts the whole dream and he says to me, Michael, is there truth in this? And I said, well, yes. And uh, anyway, a few weeks later, he says, well, basically, I, I have no problem, but you're going to have to speak to Cristela. You know, you don't just jump into this kind of thing and make your own decisions. You have to ask the parents for blessing. Young people, you go, young men, you go ask her dad before you take her on one date. Do you hear me? That's the right way to do it. It's the right way to do it. Girls, you don't go out anywhere with him until he's met your father or your mother. Mm -hmm. Not alone, anyways, that's what I mean. <laughs> so, the day arrived. It was a Friday. It was raining outside. I came to church. I was working at the church at that stage. And it was raining outside. And Christella came late that morning. She had other things to do. But as she opened the back door of the church, which is where she came in, she shouts from the back, Quickly call an ambulance! Somebody's gone off the back! This road just at the back here, somebody had rolled down the hill. Their car had rolled. They'd skidded off the road and it rolled all the way down the hill. So now, phone the ambulance. Uh, I, I grab the first aid kit, run out the side gate there and go and see what I can do to help. It's pouring with rain. So good 45 minutes later, once everybody's now in the ambulance, everyone's in. I am soaked. I'm absolutely soaked. Now, I've got to understand, I've come to ask an important question. <laughs> so I dressed for the occasion. I'm now soaked, and all that I could find in the Mercy Ministry room was some old shorts and a t-shirt that I had given because I no longer wanted them because they had holes in them and were scraggly, and it was pretty cold that day. So I am now barefoot, painted on shorts, really worn out t-shirt. <sighs> what am I going to do? And so I did nothing for a little while, trying to pluck up the courage, see what's going to happen, until eventually Christella's going to go home now. She pops her head into my office and goes... Michael, I'm going now. I'll see you on Sunday. And I said, um, Christella, and you know you have that moment. You've now opened something. And there's no going back. You've passed the point of no return. And she said, yes. And your heart rate suddenly jumps to 184 beats per minute. Can I talk to you about something? She knew. I'm sure she knew. She made me agonize just for fun. And of course, I sat her down. We had a conversation. I won't go into all the details of that. But the, the thing that I want to highlight to you this morning is that awkward moment. It's that moment when you know that something's in the air, that something needs to be discussed, that something needs to be dealt with, that something needs to be settled. 
Something needs to be determined. And until it's determined, there's this kind of limbo. There's, there's, there's no release for it. There's no flow that can take you to the next step. You see, when you know that no is the answer, then no becomes the answer, and it's the, it's the door that's closed, and you just don't even try and push through it anymore. You move on with your life. But when you know that yes is the answer, and the door is open, you walk through it, and into the wonder of what is on the other side. But that awkward moment when you stand and knock, that awkward moment when you have to have the conversation, that is a pivotal time. And I want to say to you this morning that many people feel like this when we come to the place of worship. When we come into the place of worship, and what I mean by worship, I mean in a corporate setting like this, when we come to worship God together, where we come to praise Him, our insecurities begin to pop up. Perhaps they're fueled by what we did this week, how we reacted in a situation. Or perhaps they're fueled by what we didn't do this week, and we're standing before God, and we, we feel bad about our actions. Perhaps in those moments, we're really concerned about how others would judge us if we behave in a certain way, or sing in a certain way, or what others may think of us. You know, so we kind of sing our songs, and we kind of go with the flow, and we come to that awkward moment. And in that awkward moment, a response is required. That awkward moment where we yield. That awkward moment where we look at God and say, something needs to be settled here. I want to settle something with you. And perhaps that settling is not just, oh, we've got to sort this out, this is a problem. That settling is often just putting my trust in. I've got to settle this, God, because this has been troubling me all week, and I need to settle this now in your presence. Or I need to settle this, God. I know you've been talking to me about this certain thing. We need to get this settled in my heart because I'm vacillating or I'm resisting or whatever the case is. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about the power of a yielded heart. I'll give some brief recap just because I want, to, I want us to catch and carry on with the flow um, of that this morning. We read from Ezekiel 47 about how the prophet was taken up in a vision and how the man led, measured out a thousand cubits and he went into the water up to his knees and then to his, his ankles, his knees, his waist. And, then, and we spoke about how there's this call from God always into his presence, into deeper revelations of who he is. And I want to challenge you with not just deeper revelations of who he is, but deeper experiences of who he is. Deeper experiences where his love begins to change our hearts so fundamentally that we become transformed. Deeper experiences where His power becomes tangible to us, where we see situations in our lives change, where we see attitudes in our hearts change, where our hardness, our stubbornness breaks, and His life and His grace flows, where we begin to yield to those things. Um, and like I said, what does God require of us in these situations? He requires one thing, yieldedness. It's that whole analogy of an advancing force and the white flag going up. And the white flag symbolizes, I am from this point on ceasing resistance. I'm not going to resist what you want to do anymore. Come, take us. And in the same way, worship, so much of, of, of our daily life and our own pride is doing things our way, wanting to see things happen in a certain way. We all get caught up in that, some more than others. Some people, like me, are fairly highly strung. I like things done a particular way. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. And there's always good reason for it, of course. Yes, of course it's my reason. It's a good one. And so the point is, there comes a point where sometimes, even in those things, I have to yield. 
and in my heart and in my way of thinking, when I come into the presence of God, when I want to worship Him, and I mean worship Him really, there comes a yieldedness where I have to lay down every opinion that I have, every preference that I have, every way of doing things that I think is good and right, and put them down. We spoke about the Jonah syndrome. Remember that? Jonah, who although he finally went to Nineveh, he sat on a hill and sulked because God delivered this people with whom he was angry and in his righteous judgment they should never have been forgiven. And yet God forgave them. And he was angry. And we spoke about how because of the attitude of his heart in those moments, that's where his story ends. It's not where his life ends, but that's where his story with God ends. There's no more influence in his life. There's no more influence through his life from that point because of his heart attitude and his hardness of heart. Last week, you'll remember... Pastor Andreas spoke to us about the dangers of a hardened heart. And what is that? It's that we've lost our tenderness. It's being insensitive and unresponsive to others. So let me give you an example of what this loss of tenderness is. I can sometimes take my wife out on a date, and she can talk to me about something that's going on in her heart, and I can completely misunderstand what she is saying. Because in my point of reference, I see a problem, I see a solution, I put the two together, and voila, happy days. Right? All the men are like, yes, of course, and all the women are like, no. Because you haven't caught the heart of the matter. You haven't touched on why she's feeling the way she's feeling, or how she feels, even. You've missed the point. Oh, you provided a solution. But you've missed the point. You haven't caught her heart yet. And so more dialogue is necessary. Sometimes I have to say, okay, so is this what you're saying? This, this, this. And I articulate to her beautifully what I understand about what she says. And she says, you've missed the point. You've missed the point. And I know that this is not unique to our marriage. This is, this is human communication. We hear what we want to hear because of our filters. We hear what we hear because of what God, we're dealing with at that time. We all have that. And sometimes the trick is to, the, the hard thing is to put what we're feeling and how we perceive things aside and actually listen to really hear and to embrace and to receive what, somebody, what is really on somebody else's heart. Folks, that's the essence of worship. Where we come to God and where He speaks things to us and where we speak things to Him. But there's this love journey that takes place just like on a date. We, Michael, I need to discuss something with you. This area, when you do this, when you behave this way, it makes me feel like this. Like on a date with my wife. And sometimes when we come to worship, when we come to the Word of God, and we spend time in His presence, sometimes God is wanting to have those awkward conversations with us. Where you, Michael, when you do this, and the way you treated someone, I know that you were absolutely right in, in the way that you were thinking, in what you thought you were doing was right. You were absolutely right in terms of your, your authority, and you're authorized to do this. And you, but the way you did it grieved my heart. Because you didn't speak to them in love and in kindness. Do you, get, do you get what I'm saying? And I want you to sort that out. I want you to get this settled. That I don't want you to represent me that way because I'm not like that. You with me? The act of worship is what keeps our hearts tender before God. I want to say that again, because we're coming out of a sermon last week that spoke about the dangers of a hardened heart. The act of worship is what keeps our hearts tender before God. Now we can say, what is worship? And I, I could identify it for you in a number of ways. There's other teachings on that. 
But I want you to understand what I'm speaking about here is the act of when I come either in song or in psalm or in prayer or in devotion to meet with God. Not just to sing a song or to read a scripture, but to do those things to meet with Him, to fellowship with Him, to commune with Him, to sit over the table with a cup of coffee and have moments. Some may be awkward. Some may be wonderful. I dare say the more we journey with God, the less awkward moments we have with Him. It should be that way. We all slip up from time to time, and we have to have those awkward conversations. But the point is just, it's that connection, it's that heart-to-heart stuff that I'm referring to. And it's something that we really can and should be doing when we come together like this on a Sunday morning and we sing in our songs to God. We are not following a religious formula. I want you to understand that. There's a reason we do things this way. Why? Because as we said this morning, God inhabits the praises of His people. There's something that happens when we come together and we really, in sincerity, together with one heart and one voice, sing our songs of worship and devotion to Him. It knits our hearts together as it knits our hearts deeper into His. It's a powerful thing if we give ourselves to it, if we yield to it and open our hearts to it. See, worship is our response to God, and it has many forms. It's deeply personal. It needs to be because it comes out of relationship with Jesus. You know that there are some songs that when you sing them, your heart is moved so deeply because that song was there for you and it spoke to you in a time of need or in a place of victory in your life. And it invokes emotion. And I want to say to you that that is good and we should give ourselves to that. Worshipping emotion is not good. Building up hype to stir emotion, that's fake. Not into that, not interested in that. Neither is God. But, when the, but our worship needs to be emotive, Right? God is not a hard and a cold God. You see, I can identify myself as a Christian. I come from that church. But if there is no overflow and if there is no outflow of my personal relationship with Jesus, then what have I really got? I've got religion. I've got a set of works. Ah, I may have a place and I feel I belong there, but I've completely missed the point. I'm talking about that place where it begins to become a reality where that place of surrender, that place of yieldedness, which is where I say, yes, Lord. Where I say, Lord, you come and have your way. This is what Jesus was trying to establish when he spoke to his disciples and taught them to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, you are God. I acknowledge that. You are my God, my Father in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I can't have God's will and my will done at the same time, unless my will lines up to His. And that is so much a part of what our journey of worship is all about. Yielding our will to the Father's. Now you can say to me, Michael, we can't get away from God's presence. God's presence is everywhere. You're talking about, you know, God, He lives in our hearts. He never leaves us and forsakes us. Is that true? Yes, it is. His presence is everywhere. Where can I go from your presence, said David? If I go into heaven, you're there. If I descend into hell, you're there. Wherever I go, you're there. Amen? God's presence is everywhere, right? Amen? But you know that you can have somebody in your presence. You can have somebody in the room and completely ignore them. If there is somebody who has a beautiful gift of song, and you stick them in a room with a bunch of people and just ignore them. That song that they can bring will never change the atmosphere. 
It will never move you, and you'll never be ministered to by it or blessed, and you will never do the same to them. God's the same. He's in the room. But we do not get to experience who He is, His presence, His power, His transformation, moving in us and among us until we acknowledge Him. And we yield to Him. And what happens then? His presence that has been there all along becomes tangible. And He begins to manifest Himself in some ways. So somebody who can sing manifests who they are when they begin singing their song. And their song touches our hearts and it changes the atmosphere. And we're blessed by it. Amen? It's the same with God. When we open our hearts to Him, when we acknowledge Him. I want to say this to you. God is not after the worship. God is after the worshiper. <coughs> God is not after the worship. God is after the worshiper. But worship is the avenue through which the worshipers give their hearts to God. Did you get that? Worship is not for God's sake. It's for our sake. Our hearts begin to be changed and touched. You see, David is known as a man after God's own heart. David is a wonderful example. He valued God's presence more than anything. Is it any coincidence that David was a man that is known as a man after God's own heart? Is it any coincidence that he was a man of worship? As a man after God's own heart, it's no coincidence that David was a man of worship. Worship was the expression, the outflow, the overflow of the fact that he was pursuing God's heart. Is it any coincidence that David is credited with writing so many psalms? Let me read you just a couple of things that David says in his psalms. Psalm 139, verse 17 and 18 says, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Verse 23 to 24, Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. There's this communication between him and God that is deep, that is passionate. It's a longing to know God and to be touched and transformed and changed by him. David didn't mind being vulnerable in God's presence. He had no issue with that. David didn't mind God pushing his button. He didn't have any issue with awkward moments in coffee conversations because he longed for God's presence so much that any, anything was worth laying down for God. He's the man that says, I will not give my God anything that which does not cost me. Let me read you another portion of things that, uh, from the, the Psalm 60, 63. Psalm 63, verse 1 to 3. I'm going to read it to you from the Passion Translation. Listen to this. O God of my life, I am lovesick for you in this weary wilderness. I thirst with the deepest longings to love you more, with cravings in my heart that can't be described. Such yearning grips my soul for you, my God. Let's pause for a moment. Have you experienced that before? I think in moments of our lives, all of us experience that. If, we have a, if we've journeyed with Jesus any length of time, we've experienced a measure of that. My question is this. How much have you yielded to that? You see, here was a man who had this longing and this yearning in his heart for God, and he gave himself to that completely. Look at what he goes on to say. I'm energized every time I enter your heavenly sanctuary to seek more of your power and to drink in more of your glory. 
Your tender mercies mean more to me than life itself. How I love and praise you, God. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? David's hunger for God. I want to say to you this morning, in every one of our hearts, God has placed a hunger for him. The same yearning that David had is within you. The same, but I don't always feel it. No, you don't always feel it. None of us always do. But it's something that we, 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 we can recognize in our hearts and give ourselves to. We can stir it up, not manufacture it, not hype. But when I say stir it up, I mean, for example, I can go to the psalm. How do I stir this up in my life? I can say, God of my life, I'm lovesick for you. God, I'm lovesick for you. Now, what does that mean to me? How would I express that to God? And it's going to be different for you as it is for me. But God, I want to say to you, I long for you. Forgive me where I've taken my eyes. Forgive me where I've been satisfied for anything that is not you. There is nothing like you in glory. Nobody like you can touch my heart. And I can begin giving myself over to that in worship, in adoration, and embracing that heart attitude to see it come into manifestation. What, what begins to happen in your prayer when you begin to meet with God in that kind of way? I want to tell you something. You start meeting with God in a way that you've not experienced before, on a higher level, in a deeper level. Remember what I said to you about the analogy of, of, of the measurements in Ezekiel 47. God paints this picture and He calls us deeper, but He always brings us back to where we are. And says, well, if I'm only ankle deep, I'm going I'm to press in. I'm going to align my heart with these things and give myself to them in vulnerability, privately and in a corporate setting so that I can get caught up in the, in the flow. And deeper I go. And deeper I go. And deeper I go until I become so transformed, so caught up in it, so washed away that the Spirit of God begins to move begins to exercise control, begins to have powerful influence in, me, in my heart and through me. I think God, David's love for God's presence is so clearly demonstrated in the book of 2 Samuel chapter, chapter 6 where David wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to the holy city, the city of David, the city of Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. It was the mercy seat. It's where God resided. And David was so hungry after his presence that he wanted to bring that to Jerusalem. I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but I'll, uh, we're not going to read it all. But basically what happened is David didn't know the right way to do it, but he's, in his zeal he wanted to bring the Ark in, so he had a custom-built cart made. I mean, he gave it his all. He put the Ark of the Covenant onto this cart, and they started traveling towards Jerusalem. There was singing, there was fanfare. Uh, I forget the exact details. Uh, every six paces, an oxen was slain. Think of that. that. Every six paces that they made, they slayed an oxen as a sacrifice of worship. This is extravagant stuff. David held nothing back here. But along the way, one of the oxen stumbled, the cart rocked, and a man by the name of Uzzah put his hand out and touched the Ark of the Covenant to steady it so that it wouldn't fall not realizing that you can't touch the Ark of the Covenant. God's glory touched him and he, he, he died just in that moment. He touched the glory of God and he, couldn't, he didn't live. And a somber atmosphere obviously comes over the whole thing. Somebody's just died. 
we've misunderstood something here. So David and his men park the cart at a guy's called Obed-Edom's house for three months while they now go back, they pull out the scrolls. How do we do this thing? What is the right way of doing it? And during that three months, nothing but blessing comes upon Obed-Edom's house. He was pretty miserable when they rocked up with the poles to take the ark out the right way because he, 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 had, he had a good three months. Business was good. So they find out the right way to carry the ark. Poles slot, fitted into the slots on the side of the ark, and the ark had to be covered, carried on the shoulders of the priests. I want to say this to you. It's important to note this. Even in the Old Covenant, God's presence was to be carried by His people. Not on, a, not on an oxen, not on a cart, because His presence is always desiring to be with His people and upon His people. And even there. And so I'm going to pick up the story now where they get the ark on David, on the, on the, on the priest's shoulders. They're now carrying it in and they're bringing it into Jerusalem. Now we're going to pick up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 6 from verse 13. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that they sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. I love that. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the shout of a trumpet. We see David's excitement in this. We see his exuberance. We've got to remember who he is. He is the king. He's not just some citizen. He's not a hired dancer or a court jester. He is the king, the highest in the land. And he is going before the ark in extravagant praise and worship to God. Now, let me just say some things to you here. Oh, well, let's carry on and we'll get to them a bit later. Verse 16. So the ark of the Lord came into the city of David. Michelle, Saul's daughter, who was also David's wife, looked through a window and saw the king leaping and whirling before the Lord and despised him in her heart. You see, I need to understand as much as Michelle was David's wife, she was Saul's daughter. She was given to David because of a victory that he had won. But her heart was still loyal to Saul. And she was now tied to the king. Now that comes with a measure of prestige, wouldn't you say? Let's put it in worldly terms. She was married to George Clooney. And here, her husband was dancing around like a fool. And she was embarrassed. And she was ashamed. And his foolishness before God reflected on her, and she felt that she would now be derided and made thought of as foolish to be married to this king who wills about and dances like this. So David returns in verse 20 to bless his household. And Michelle, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Do you note a hint of sarcasm in what she says? Oh, how glorious you look there, making an idiot out of yourself. So David said to Michelle, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all this house 
all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. She says, I danced before God. I didn't dance before you. It wasn't for you. It wasn't for any one of those priests. It wasn't for any one of the hundreds or thousands or however many people were looking on. I did it. I didn't do it for any one of them. I couldn't care less what you or any one of them thought. I couldn't care less. Because I did it for God. This was for my... And listen, many people falsely say, oh, David danced naked before the Lord. No, he didn't dance naked. He wore an ephod. An ephod is what the priests used to wear. So he had a linen garment on. And, he, and also people think he danced around like a crazy man. Doing, there was twirls. The Hebrew dancing, there were all kinds of twirls. There was rhythm going on. There were people with tambourines and drums and playing. There was beautiful music. And David danced with all his might, the best that he could dance, to the rhythm. A beautiful dance before the Lord. For the Lord. He went on to say, I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom I've spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore, Michelle, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. I want to say this to you. It's important we recognize this. As I've already mentioned, it's not that David stripped himself of his clothes. It's that David stripped himself of his royal garments and their significance in that. The royal garments symbolize his prestige, his position, his title, his authority. And in the moment before the presence of God, none of that mattered. I want to say to you today, it doesn't matter who we are, what title we carry, how important others think we are, or how important we may think we are. In the presence of God, it matters nothing. The catch is for us, to let it matter nothing when we're in the presence of God. Because we get locked up in it, don't we? We get caught up in it. What will people think of me if? Oh, but I'm, I'm the so-and-so. I need to set a good example. Could there better be, be a better example than we could set than vulnerability in the presence of God? What is the greatest example I can set for my children. Let me tell you a story. I get choked up every time I think about it because it's true and it's so powerful. When my daughters wake up in the morning, they generally know where they're going to find their dad. He's going to be sitting on the couch, praying, reading his Bible, listening to worship, whatever he's doing. And so a good few months ago, my eldest daughter comes up and says, Dad, can you wake me up early in the morning also so I can sit and read the Bible with you? Now, she didn't do that because I asked her to. She didn't do that because I put it on her. She saw I was doing something and she wanted to be a part of it. Now, you may say that's just very innocent. She's seven years old. That's what seven-year-olds want to do. And yes, you'd be right. But how many parents would wish for that? How many parents pray for that kind of enthusiasm from their children? Man, I went out, I bought a kid's Bible for her, I bought one for her, I bought this devotional thing that we could, you, you know, you strike when the iron's hot on that kind of thing. And if I wake them up in the mornings, they want to pretend to sleep, that's now the game. I don't know where they learned that game. That's now the game. But if I say, come, if you don't hurry up, we're not going to have time to read Bible. Up they get. They just love that special time with Dad. 
They're going to go sleep over at, at Yaya and Bapu's house. Do you want to take your Bible with? Bapu can read to you. No, Dad, that's just for you and me. <laughs> Special, precious moments in the presence of God. She's following an example of something that she's seen. She doesn't understand the depth of it yet. Maybe I don't even understand the depth of it yet. But I know that it's beautiful. I know what it feels like to sit in the mornings with my little girls asking the weirdest questions, trying to figure out, God, is this actually hitting home? Is this making any difference at all? But just that time, those moments spent with them in the presence of God where we pray and where I pray for them and bless them. Now the morning, start, start of a new term. Come, girls, new term. I want to pray for you. Pray for the term ahead. Lillian, you must pray for mommy too. Mommy's not going to school. That she can do good at her job. We'll pray for mom. We'll pray for mom. So as I said to you earlier on, the reason this is such a poignant example is because David, in the presence of God, set aside his title, his, his royalty, if you like, his status in the eyes of the people. He did not care. In that moment, what others thought of him was unimportant. Unimportant. You know, you come to... <laughs> This happens quite often. People come to the altar. I have an emotional experience with God at the altar and then afterwards apologize for being emotional. I'm sorry I broke down. Why? Why are you sorry? That was awesome. Praise God. That's between you and him. Nobody saw. <laughs> the question I want to ask you this morning is this. How will you respond to God in those moments, those coffee table moments? I want to say to you, when we come into worship, it's those coffee table moments. When we sit with the Bible open, it's those coffee table moments. And we can sing our song and actually ignore the elephant in the room, if you like. Bad expression in the moment. We can read our Bible and skim over it and have our daily duty done. Or we can actually just stop and pause and really have heart-to-heart -heart fellowship with God. I'll end with this analogy because I've always found it to be so, so, so poignant. Who's had a birthday recently? Jonathan. So did you get some cards on your birthday? Got some cards. Well, some of them bought cards, so some funny things inside and some words, right? And generally those words, you know, they have meaning. They're given with thought and with heart. But when you receive a birthday card, the words that actually sit with you, the words that actually mean the most to you are the words that somebody else took the trouble to write themselves and to express their heart towards you. That's what actually hits home. I mean, Hallmark is great and all, but when somebody writes words of love or affirmation or kindness to you, that's what touches your soul. And I want to say this to you. The songs that we sing on a Sunday are like a card. They're well written. They're well, they're, they're eloquent. Some are not so well written, but they're, they're there, they're eloquent. They bring a theme. They bring a moment, a card. But it's that heart-to-heart -heart connection. It's those words that I say to God in the midst of that song. It's how I acknowledge those words to be true. How many of you have given a card and said, I couldn't have said it better? Love so-and-so. In other words, the card says it all. Even in those moments where we talk to God, that's the stuff I'm talking about. You with me? And I believe that when we start getting that right on a regular basis, 
when we start from that point on a regular basis, our devotional life with Jesus changes. Our relationship with Him changes from this thing that we know we've got and He's kind of up there and I'm to a very deep, very intimate relationship where I can sense His presence moving in me. Things begin to fall off. I begin to change. And my whole hope and desire in this morning as we've been talking about yieldedness for some time now is to create a hunger in you for more of who God is, but not just that, a hunger to yield to Him in a different way and in a different level. Even in a setting like this, where I perhaps feel a little vulnerable because there are other eyes on me. Michael, we don't like you've put, how you've put the chairs now because we can see each other. To which I say, that's the point. <laughs> we're not in this alone. We're together, we're a family. And what I'd like us to do now is we're going to share communion together, start our worship from the point of acknowledging, acknowledging our Savior, acknowledging His body, acknowledging His blood, acknowledging what He's done to bring us to this place of intimacy. What did Jesus, what was the whole point? What was the whole point of Jesus' life and death and crucifixion? What was the point? To give us a different set of rules, a new, light, new, new songs. It was to bring us into intimacy with God the Father through Jesus Christ, in the power of the Spirit. That's the point. And whenever that is not our experience, we've missed the point. Amen? We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.